Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Transplant's Take on Sport. My name is Lewis Daniels and joining me today is kidney recipient and England and Wales transplant cricketer Scott Fairbrass. Scott speaks openly about his unsuccessful first transplant and thankfully successful second transplant following seven years on dialysis. We also talk about Scott's cricketing achievements including playing in Australia before his transplant and winning the Ashes for England and Wales after with a huge score on his debut. This episode is cricket themed so if anyone would like any premium cricket equipment for the new season you can use the code LEWISD25 for 25% off everything at neoncricket.co.uk. Thank you to Neon for sponsoring me this year. And if you'd like to follow the podcast on social media, all the links will be in the show notes. Scott Fairbrass, welcome to Transport's Take on Sport. Hey, up, are you all right? Very good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, good. Very good, thank you. Regular listeners will have heard your name before. It's been mentioned a few times by, uh, I think, Steve and Lee, maybe Matt as well, possibly Joe. Joe says you've got a good story to sell, so you're here. Yeah, I think I think that basically means I'm the moron of the group. <laughs> Popular figure. Well, yeah, we'll go with that one then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for those who haven't gathered, Scott's part of the England and Wales Transplant Cricket Club, so... Most of this podcast is going to be cricket related, with the transplant story in there as well. Uh, so to start with, we'll go with we'll go right back to before your transplant cricket. When did you first start playing? Uh, I first started playing uh, probably when I was about eight years old. Uh, there used to be, you know, like summer camps. You uh, yeah. you get them through at school, and you'd uh, you pay so much, and you'd have a six week course of whichever you chose. So I used to do athletics and uh, cricket. Um, which was run by a bloke called Clive Jackson, who massively known down at Altoff and basically massively massively known within the Yorkshire area and also Australia. He was a very very good man in terms of getting kids playing cricket, enthusiasm for cricket, and I fell in love with cricket mainly because of him. Um, and then I started playing for a club. I joined Altoffs probably when I was ten, so I went to these summer camps. Um, and then I joined Altoffs. He asked me to go down to Altoffs at 10, playing there under-13s. Young for the age group? Yes. Were you always pretty good for your age from early on? Yeah, I, I seem to... I've, I've always been a quick bowler. That was my 
um, discipline, if you like. Uh, that was what I was a quick bowler, uh, and I was always able to bowl pretty quick, and I've always been able to hit a ball like above what my age was. Um, so I was clearing boundary ropes at 12 years old, and like senior boundary ropes at 12 year old and stuff like that. Uh, not that I'm particularly big. I just I just seem to have that good hand eye coordination and I'm fairly strong for my size. Yeah, I, really, I remember the net session I came to that you were at as well and saying to someone next to me when you were batting that everything sounded like it was off the middle and the noise it made was unbelievable. Yeah, I've, I've, I've always been quite lucky in that aspect. Obviously, I'm getting older now, it's getting harder and harder. But in terms of when I was younger, it, it came easy to me. Uh, see red, it red, me batting. That was my mantra. That's your style. That's my mantra. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I live by. <laughs> well, not so much now. ball, hit ball. That's pretty much it. Yeah, but as as of uh, my health deteriorating, I can no longer bowl. Um, now I'm more of a batter in brackets. Uh, I take it more seriously and try and play proper shots and keep the ball on the floor and take my time and all that stuff I should have been doing when I was younger, really. <laughs> <laughs> so the, more, the safer, more sensible approach now. That's the one. Yeah. So has it always been your main sport then? Uh, yeah, really. Uh, in terms of playing-wise, yeah, I, I pretty much live for cricket. Um, but not watching it, funnily enough, I never really watched much cricket as a, when I was um, a child. It was more old football. Played a lot of football as well, uh, but watched a lot of football. Whereas cricket, I pretty much only watched, watched the Ashes. So I, was, I had an obsession with Australia for some reason as a country. Um, so I'd always watch the Astros. Always got into. Always watched all five days. If we lasted five days back in them days, it ended more three days. Um, and that was our, the only cricket I really watched. But playing wise, I would play every day. That was it. Was I loved it through the summer. Wouldn't miss a training session. Wouldn't miss a game. Before mum and dad dragging me all over, all over county playing, <laughs> playing at various venues for various. For for all toffs in various leagues and for various representative sides and yeah, basically I'm well well travelled in the the grounds <laughs> of Yorkshire. I can fully understand where you're coming from. I've been one playing more into playing than watching, and only recently, the last few years, got into watching a lot more. And yeah, following more. I think as you get older, you start to understand exactly the game yeah. and the tactical side more. Yeah, I mean, I I always had quite a good head for the tactical side of stuff anyway when I would but watching it. I don't, know, I don't want to say it bored me. It's not boring, is it? It's, a, it's probably the best sport there is when if you understand cricket. Um, I don't know. It would, I think because I was young and I always wanted to be outside, it's obviously it takes a lot of your time with cricket to sit there. Mm. And I was full of energy and I always wanted to be out. And obviously I was only one in my group of friends who played cricket. So that's where the football came in and it was always football. Um, cricket app to go to other sources, other places to play. Um, but yeah, I never really watched it. Only last, I'm, I'm playing a bit of catch up in terms of like county cricket and stuff like that. It's only the last few years I've been interested in that, really. Which is a shame because I've probably missed out on on so much. Yeah, you've alluded to it earlier, saying that you've played, you were playing up in, up an age group, and you were playing all over Yorkshire. What sort of level were you playing at when you were growing up? Uh, so, in terms of juniors, the best I got to was White Road, um, which is you basically pick to play against the Yorkshire, the last age group of the Yorkshire setup. 
There's um, not really a Yorkshire B side, you just a select basically. Um, and then you play against them, them players. So in that particular game, the last game I played, there was um, so there was David Stiff who represented Yorkshire and Ken a few uh, for a few first class games. Was Nick Farnicroft again played Yorkshire first team for a few occasions. Tim Bresnan, who obviously everyone knows, um, spinners. Uh, Mark Lawson, he played quite a lot of first class, and Dave Wainwright who played quite a lot of first class as well, spinner. So there was players like that who obviously went on and had a bit of a professional career. Obviously, a few had a bit of longer. Into like Tim Bresnan, obviously still playing now. Um, so yeah, that was the highest I got in terms of juniors. Uh, adult in senior cricket, I played Central Yorkshire Prem, uh, which no longer exists. They merged with the now Bradford League. Um, so the standard of the Central Yorkshire Prem it wasn't. It's not Bradford Premier. So that's just a different animal altogether. But there's players in it who would have played in that, but mainly it was probably the tier below the Premier of the Bradford. So a very good standard. Played against um, some very good players, some ex-international um, players. Uh, so uh, Sammy Digger, who uh, wicketkeeper for India. Uh, Mohamed Asif, who played Test match um, and one day for Pakistan uh, off spinner. Always used to get me out, funnily enough. Um, and then. People like um, who played first class in like New Zealand or Australia, played against a lot of overseas players like that. So a very good standard. Some experiences and then, so the, the names there that you've reeled off shows it's a good standard. I think my granddad said he used to play in the Bradford League. This would have been it's been a long time ago. Uh, I think when it would possibly have been. I don't want to make him seem older than he is, um, <laughs> but I'm going to say seventies, eighties. Yeah, he once said that he gave a, I think it was an hour and a half lecture to his class at school on the forward defensive shot. Most important shot in the book. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I mean, when your grandad were playing in eighties, that will have been in the Bradford League. You're talking um, like BVS Laxman, I believe. I think he will have been there. He definitely played in Bradford League, and I believe it will have been the eighties. You've got obviously players like that who've played Bradford League. That's the, the standard the Bradford League is. It's uh, a very good standard. So we combine your standard and your the love you've declared for Australia when you were growing up. Yeah, you didn't end up going to play in Australia. How did that first come about? So Clive, who had done the soccer schools and coached at Altoffs, his um, his daughter actually lived in Australia because she married the overseas player um, who came over in the eighties, I believe it was late eighties. Um, she moved out there with him. So Clive. And his wife used to go out every summer, or every sorry, our winter their summer, every year for for the best part of thirty years, and he'd coach do coaching over there to earn a little bit of money, to, you know, to keep him picking over and stuff like that. And he used to take players over regular from Altoffs and other other clubs. Any player who wanted to go to Altoffs, you'd go see Clive Jackson, and he, he would set you up. So I ended up playing at the club where he was currently coaching at, which was Caram Downs. Um, and yeah, I had uh, five months of my life out there, which was an eye opener. What was the standard like compared to over here? Um, it the standard where I was playing, it it was probably in between our first and seconds. Um, so it was it was an all right standard, but it wasn't what I was playing because I was at I was playing first team at that point. A lot, well, mainly, well, all my games were first team. 
and it it wasn't um and then I'm but I did actually struggle while I was down there um bowling and batting because I was a bit of an all-rounder you know I I would score quite a lot of half centuries and um and take a couple of wickets and not go for many runs but it's just because it's hard bouncy wickets it kind of went to my head a little bit because I was a quick bowler and I'm only five foot nine and I've never been one to bowl the short ball and it kind of went to my head a little bit but what you don't realise about Australians is they brought up on quick bouncy wickets and like <laughs> fucking is pretty much the first shot they learned to play so it didn't matter how quick I was bowling it was going further and further and further so I did I genuinely struggled down there and I could not get it out of my head to get my length fuller and because I'm a swing bowler as well that didn't help I do. I did rely on a lot of swing at that point. Uh, that was my stop ball, my bread and butter ball, um, and I, I did struggle. Um, doesn't take away from the experience. It was fantastic. Uh, I would do it again. Um, if I want as a young eighteen-year-old, like I, said, I did get quite homesick then. If I was more mature, I know that's hard to believe. <laughs> but if I was more mature, then I probably would have gone back to second year because. Uh, uh, Frankston, who were like a peninsula side, they wanted me to play in their second team, which would have been our first team level. Um, Cam Downs wouldn't release me, which rightfully so, because they brought me over the house me and stuff like that. Um, so I should, what I should have done was really gone back to second year and played at Frankston, maybe learnt a bit more, learnt from that experience, and maybe kicked on a little bit. Australian club cricket sounds. Sound quite serious. Sounds at a decent level. I listen to the Grade Cricket the podcast, and they talk about it all the time. They they love their club cricket over there. Yeah. And you sometimes you see videos online, and they'll talk about it. How, I mean, people people who are not that interested in cricket, this might this might not mean a lot, but you see players. I saw yesterday uh, James Pattinson bowling in a club game. Yeah, I watched the same video. Marnus Labashain batted a bowling in a club game. Did he get the sort of the the current pros? Coming down to that level, and no, not the not the level, not the level. Callum Downs were at, but where Frankston was. So I did actually go train with Frankston um, for probably about half of that summer. I was I trained uh, with them in between Callum Downs training, and like the first, I was in the second team there. But just watching the first team there, that step is they were one of their opening bowler were currently being looked at to represent Victoria, and that level. Is you realise how far away you are? You know, as much as I, I bullied junior cricket, without, without trying to be too modest, I, I, I genuinely bullied it. Um, how quicker than anyone else could it ball further than anyone else? But then when you step up to that senior level, that extra five percent that you need, it's a big five percent. It is tough. It, I mean, he was, he was, I mean, he was quality. He, he could, he could put a beer mat on a length and he would hit it. That's, I mean, it was that good. And he, and he still wasn't selected for Victoria. That step is phenomenal, basically. The, uh, yeah, for anyone, cricketers listening, the step from juniors to senior cricket does take you by surprise. I think I was 14, 15 playing adult cricket and it, the, the stats don't look. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I, mean, I played I played my first second team game at 12. Um, I don't think, I, I think I just fielded that first game and I played quite a lot more when I was 13 in second team um, and I did okay obviously nothing compared to what you do as a junior player it's even though you're playing against junior Yorkshire players if you, you know academy players and stuff like that it's, it's just 
it's just a, like you say, it's a it's a, a big step for Eddie Junior. And then when I when I played my first, I played my first first team game at thirteen, played more 14, 15, 16, obviously, and then all the time. That step is even bigger again. Yeah. When you put overseas players into the mix as well, and then it is a a different animal. You see some good ones coming over. Yeah, some very good. I mean, we've had some good players ourselves. Um, our opening bowler represented Yorkshire all through junior. And he, it was between him and Chris Silverwood for the Yorkshire contract. Obviously, we know who Chris Silverwood is now, and now England coach and play for Yorkshire all his career. So, you know, that's that was the standard. It's a good level. So we'll move away from cricket slightly. You mentioned that you played football. Was the level you were at there similar to competing with the level you were at for cricket? Uh, no. Uh, I, I very much just play for the village that I played in. We played in a decent league. Um, it was a Wakefield league. It was a, when I was in my late teens. It was a very good standard. We were competing with county teams in cup competitions. We were beating a few of them, not convincingly, obviously scraping through, but we were competitive. Um, um, so yeah, we managed to win the league one year. We both finished top three and we won it, uh, drawing one game. Uh, one year, um, a lot of them teams have gone on to play county amateur. Have moved into the county amateur setup, and Walton kind of stayed where they were, and the league has diminished in recent years. Um, it's still pretty decent feeder feeder league, but not as as much as what it was when I was younger. And then just before I went to Australia, I got picked up by Emily, who were a semi professional club. I think I trained for about eight weeks, and then said, "Oh, that's it. I'm off to Australia." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah and I never went back I just went back to play with, with Walton what position were you playing? Uh, like everyone else who seems to have been on this podcast I was a goalkeeper <laughs> <laughs> all the cricketers goalkeepers yeah it's funny that isn't it are you a good fielder? Um, I can already hear people laughing uh, in terms of catching no uh, but in terms of ground <laughs> ground fielding and throwing yeah I was um I was a pretty good ground fielder. Like I used to, my position was mainly on the boundary because I had a rocket arm. So I would, well, mainly it would be fine leg because I'd be bowling. So I'd be bowling, then fine leg, bowling, fine leg. And then obviously when, if spinners came on or another one coming, I would be then either into cover or if it was a spinner, I'd be uh, square leg on the boundary or cow corner on the boundary because I could have that arm to be able to throw it flat over the wicket. And not much got past me. I could read it off the bat pretty well, but in terms of catching, no, I'm, I'm diabolical. <laughs> <laughs> you still on the boundary now? No, because I can't throw now. I mean, um, when we get onto the illnesses I've had, it's my body's kind of like wasted away a little bit, and I, it, it throws my shoulder out. I've got pains and like that. I just haven't got them fast twitch muscles anymore to be able to do it. We'll come towards that now then. Did you manage to play football and cricket right the way up until your first transplant? Cricket, yes. Football, no. Um, so I, I was the same. Yeah, so I played football. Um, I, once I made, So my kidney function went down to, uh, about, got down to about 7%. And that's when we decided, I would, as you're probably away, you get really tired and you can, yeah, yeah every, even walking upstairs is, is a struggle. Uh, so we decided it's probably best to go on dialysis just to perk it back up, go on the transplant list. Uh, like I said, I got down to 7%. I only had one kidney. Uh, so I got down to 7%. Then had the tube put in for peritoneal dialysis. Carried on playing football probably for half a season. And 
don't mind admitting I've lost my bottle. Diving at people's feet when you've got a tube hanging out of your belly. It's, yeah. You, it's subconsciously, you know it's there. And I was pulling out of tackles and it just won't right. So I, I ended up knocking on head and I've never gone back to it since, to be honest with you. I've not, I've not missed it. I was talking about this yesterday with my dad about how I was playing football up until probably about six months before my transplant. I avoided dialysis. And I still watch a lot, but I haven't missed playing. Yeah. It's strange. I, I loved it growing up. Yeah, same. Exactly the same. Cricket, I was dying to get back to, and I've got back to. Football, I haven't really missed it. Maybe five aside a little bit, the social side, but other than that, not really. No, I've, I've not missed it. Um, although I have been in touch with the guy who runs uh, Leeds Transplant Football with a view of maybe playing at this year's Transplant Games, which is in, yeah. in hopefully in Leeds. So I may may do that this year. Depends on fitness and stuff like that. But yeah, I may I may get involved in that. For those who haven't listened to other podcasts that I've done so far, I know we've talked about peritoneal dialysis before, but could you briefly explain it for those who haven't maybe listened to others or know what it is? Yeah, so basically I started on what's called solo exchange. So I had, you have to do four two-litre exchanges um, of this fluid which acts like a sponge and that sits in your stomach between in your peritoneum and your muscles and it sits there um basically your blood goes through it pulls the toxins out which you should get rid of in your urine and then after so many hours you you drain drain it out and you, you and it pulls fluid out as well so that two liters becomes 2.2 liters 2.4 liters depending on how much you've drunk etc and then you put another two liters in and that sits there it's called a dwell so that sits there dwelling and doing what it does. And then on your night exchange, you'll put a stronger bag in, which I assume has more, lasts a bit longer and doesn't get absorbed itself. And then on the morning, you'll drain that out, put fresh in, and that continues until you get a call. So going all the way back, when did you first find out that you had kidney problems? I was born with... Um, I've actually been on the phone to the nurse this morning to get my uh, details because I'm terrible when it comes to myself. So I have I was born with reflux, nef, hang on nephropathy, reflux, nephropathy. That's the one and dysplastic kidneys. So I was born with two kidneys, um, which and basically what them long words are that I can't spell, let alone speak, uh, is urine going back up from your bladder into your kidneys and damaging kidneys. So I had one kidney at five percent and one at seventy five when I was born. And then I had my right kidney removed when I was free in 1987. Did you, did you know much about that? No, I've only just literally found out the name of it today. <laughs> <laughs> I knew what I knew roughly what I had. I, I didn't know the name. Um, I just I know rough vaguely that it was urine back flushing up the valves in the kidneys and causing scar tissue. At the time, were you aware of what was going on? At three? No, no, not that I remember. I think my earliest memory will have been probably around five or six-ish and having to leave school, go to the hospital, have your bloods done, screaming hospital down because I'm scared of needles and all that. And then that's probably my earliest memory. And that were every three months I'd go for blood checks and they'd say, oh yeah, kidney's fine, it's fairly stable, it's still on decline as it was degenerative um, disease. Um, so yeah, you're born with 75, yeah, it's... 76 this year, so on and so forth. 
Uh, and then obviously you get all the ask a few questions. Um, you know, they basically said, yeah, you probably be on this current trend, probably looking at around 50 before you'd need a transplant. So yeah, I can live with that. Brilliant. Um, anyway, I gets into my teens and then they tried a new drug out on me for, I can't remember what it was. Anyway, I was on this drug for about six months uh, because my, my appointments had gone to six months learn. Gone for six months and it wiped about 40% off my kidney function. Um, so, like, obviously, that's years off when I need a transplant. Yeah. So, anyway, took me off that unsurprisingly. And then, um, so I carried on. And then I got to 20, what were I, 23? When did I have my first transplant? Went on dialysis in 2008. What does that make me? 24. I was 24 and then I was on dialysis. So you weren't much older than me when I had mine then? No. I was 20. So when when was your first, the first one happened? The first transplant? Yeah. So the first transplant happened um, a year and a month after I started on dialysis. So that was the 21st of March, 2009. And that lasted for three days. Well, come on to that three-day bit now. Before we get there, so your, your first transplant... You've told me before that it came from a cadaveric donor, which for anyone who isn't aware is a kidney from someone who sadly passed away and had agreed to donate their organs. So um, I know there's a new organ donation law in now, Max and Kira's law, the op, the oh, name opt, my head. opt out opt out law, that's the one. Um, so you're automatically assumed as an organ donor uh, unless you express not to be one, but you still need to make sure that you do have the chat with your family about what you want to happen with your organs when you do eventually die, I know no one really wants to think about that. I don't really like thinking about it. But yeah, have the chat and then might save someone's life one day, like Scott's. So were you waiting for that year and a half then? A year and a month, yeah. Month. Yeah, so that came pretty quickly. Um, I can't even remember where I was or what I was doing. That, that one, it's somewhat of, uh, of obvious because it only lasted three days. A very matter-of-fact person that it's been and gone. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, three days, got a, what's called a major embryolism, which is a blood clot. And it stabbed the kidney of oxygen. I was in massive pain. Um, they tried to save it in terms of cutting the clot out, but it was it was too far gone and that got removed. And then I went back on, uh, straight back on peritoneal dialysis um, for about another six years. How do you pick yourself back up? I asked this to Tara, who was on before. How do you pick yourself back up from losing one that quickly? It didn't really affect me. I know it sounds daft and people are going to say it had to have done. But it didn't because I've, because I've been born with kidney. I've known about, I've always been very relaxed about kidney problems because it's something I've grown up with, I've known about since birth. And nothing has ever worried me in terms of kidney transplants or kidney failure or dialysis. I've always known and I've been prepared. And it didn't really affect me because um, I was doing okay on dialysis. I was still functioning. I was still working. I was still, you know, I was still going out and partying and everything you do as a as a young young adult. So it, as far as I was concerned, it never stopped me living. Um, it was only towards the back end before my second transplant when the dialysis um, started being less efficient. But I was like, yeah, I could have done with that kid to carry on working because I'm in my 20s and now I'm knackered. Yeah. 
so the dialysis ran smoothly until then. And then what was it that happened towards the end of it? Uh, you, I believe it, the peritoneum becomes, you, they're not, it become less efficient in the dialysis. So I think what happened was the, what happens is the peritoneum doesn't allow as much of the toxins to come through, whether it hardens or whatever. I don't, I didn't really ask too many questions. I get apologies because I'm not very good at asking questions about myself. Um, so it became less and less efficient, and I will go into the hospital and, oh yeah, your creatinine's this much, creatinine's that much, this blah blah blah. Um, and I could feel myself getting worse and worse and tighter and tighter because at the end of the day, my body's poisoning itself. Um, and I will ended up lying to the doctors because I was trying to protect people around me. Oh, how are you feeling? You must be feeling. T-. No, I feel fine. You know, as you do. Cause some idiots. Um, and then I got, I went to one doctor this one time. When did I make transplant? 26th of March. So it probably wouldn't have been around October 2014. And my creatinine was up at 17,500. Wow. Yeah. So bear in mind, a normal person ranges anything between 80 and 300, depending on various things. I'm currently 130 ish, and I'm up at 1550. Um, and he says, oh, are you feeling? I it just come in. He was a doctor I'd seen when I was more of a child, too, more of a, a pediatrician, kidney specialist. Um, and he said, oh, I've not seen you for ages. How are you feeling? I said, oh, yeah, I'm good. He went, no, you're not. <laughs> 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 and he could see straight through me, basically. Um, so, and my weight were down at like 70 kilos. I'm 90 kilos now. So I was 20 kilos below what I should be. I was not eating. Appetite's obviously suppressed because you've got no yeah. kidney function. Says you're not. Says I'm looking at this and I don't know how you still, how nothing major has happened to you. Says if, if you carry on the way you are in the next six months, something major is going to happen to you. I'm like right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so he said you need to start stopping work because I work in twelve-hour days. I'm self-employed, so obviously you do what you do, don't you? Yeah. Um, working. I've got a young. Um, I had Caleb who was three at the time, who had just adopted at ten months old. Obviously, and and I knew what I wasn't right because I'd come home from work and I'd just literally go to sleep. I was, you know, what I mean, it, like, even on my break times at work, I was sleeping. It was just more sleep than being awake. That's that's how it was. I was I was literally poisoning myself. Um, and I, I had to pack it in end. Um. But yeah, this Dr. Mooney basically says we need to keep more observations on you because this isn't good. We need to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, I was constantly having blood transfusions because my potassium were going above 6. So that was like 6.8 and 7 and 7.2. So constantly in and out of hospital with blood transfusions because that will cause heart attack. The potassium is quite a scary thought because mine got above 6 once. It turned out to be a false reading. But it is quite scary when... I don't know if you had the same sort of experience, but you've had your blood tests and then you sat at home doing whatever you're doing. You get a call, you need to come, in a, come to A&E now, your potassium's high. Yep. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Google it, not that you should, but Google it. That caused a heart attack. Yeah, Great. it is. And it's and the thing is, like, oh, you need to restrict your potassium because you obviously your dialysis isn't working, it's not getting rid of it. You've got no kidney function, so again, you can't get rid of it. You need to restrict your potassium level. Everything has potassium in, or anything that I eat has yeah. potassium in. So I used to love fruit and like so grapes have 
high potassium. Chocolate, massive fan of chocolate, full of potassium. <laughs> it's, it's like, well, what can I eat? <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be eating chicken and healthy stuff. I want to be eating chocolate. Oh, I am. <laughs> but yeah, so, yeah, it's scared. I've probably had about seven or eight blood transfusions in my time. It was just getting ridiculously high and hard to manage. But luckily, after that conversation, about four months later, I did manage to get the call. I packed in work, I was at home, and it, it was a Monday, and I was. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Sleep, funnily enough, and my phone went, says, oh, we've got a kidney for you. I'm like, oh, brilliant. Uh, stumbled downstairs in my tired state. Told uh, Louise, my wife, and uh, they said, oh, you don't need to come in straight away because it's coming from quite a distance. I didn't matter. I was, I was gone. I was, I'd wait in hospital. I wasn't, you know what I mean? I was, I was desperate for it. I was. I was desperate for it. It's quite a long time to wait, the time you were on dialysis for. Yeah, because it becomes a groundhog day to dialysis. And it's, 
And like because like because I'd said like the dial to stop working, I want overnight exchanges on a machine which does it automatically for you. Then so I want nine hours. So you, I mean, I don't. I mean, I barely sleep six hours now, but I was having to go to bed at like when I was still working when I first went on it. I was having to go to bed at like eight o'clock, which so I could be up for like six or whatever, yeah, just, just to get ready for work. And it's hard to explain, especially like because I had like three year all the time, and all Caleb wanted to do was play. It's hard yeah. to explain to him why, why one I'm laying down I can't play when it's nice outside, and then what's this machine doing, and why am I up to all these tubes, and what's that coming out of your belly? And yeah, it was getting hard, mainly because I had a child at the time. I think if I had a child, it'd have been a lot easier, but because obviously you're wary of of the little one, then it's a different experience then to what I was used to. As you've mentioned that, we'll, we'll come on to to Caleb now. Um, I spoke to Joe about how her and Robin taught her, their daughter about kidney problems and transplants. Have you been able to have that chat yet? Um, he knows I've got kidney problems. He knows I've had a transplant. And what I did, what I decided to do with Caleb is whenever I went to the hospital, I would take him with me so he could see what, so he wasn't, he was never wondering. You know what I mean, so he, he would be there with me. He would, he obviously, He'd obviously listen, but he wouldn't, you know, he'd be on my phone or something. But he, he could hear. But he, he wouldn't understand what was going off. And then he'd come and see me, have my blood taken. Anyway, we go, just let him know that if I go to hospital, I'll be all right. I'll be coming out and I'll be, yeah. I'll be coming home. And I, I, I decided to go that route with him. So he's been very comfortable with me being in hospital with kidney transplants and the illnesses that I had after. He, he was very calm about it. He wasn't panicky or anything like that. He, he handled it very well. Not in terms of what kidney transplant actually is. I mean, he's nine now, so I probably could have the conversation with him. He would understand. He's never asked. Your second transplant, you got the call. Were there ever live donors being worked up to donate at the time? Yes. Um, so after that conversation with Doctor Mooney, I basically that's when I got like my family to give us a look. I'm not well. I've been Bibs to you. I need a transplant. Um, my mum had actually offered when I first went on dialysis, and I'd always said no to family members donating to me, uh, purely for my own reasons that I didn't potentially want anyone else I knew and loved to be going through what I'm going through. Obviously, one if I'd have asked more questions, I'd have known that to be a, a kidney donor, you have to be fit anyway. And yeah, and I know from myself that like, you can very much function on one kidney because I did it for 24 years and if I hadn't been on that tablet I'd have, I'd have done it for 50 years but out of my own probably pride more than anything I said no to my mum but anyway coming back to the original question yeah so uh, my dad and then two friends of ours all went for tests two of them came back as matched and one of them was a better match than my dad so Lee was going through all the tests ready for transplant and you know as you as and i will go through the test and the matching and the all that stuff that they, that they do and then but luckily i got the call and got the cadaver kidney so he, he didn't have to go through that was that the ideal scenario for you for me personally yes i didn't i didn't want to see anyone else going through any of that yeah i, I fully understand that were you more prepared for the second transplant having been through it already. Yeah, I knew exactly what to expect. Um I knew the stages, I knew that I'd go in, I'd have 
26 vials of blood taken out of me, then I'd be waiting and say, yeah, it's a match. Um, I mean, I've been quite lucky with both of them in the terms that I've been the only person that's gone for it because I know sometimes they can do off three and then you get sent home, which I don't know how people handle that, to be fair. It happened next to me on the ward. Yeah, I bet it's devastating. I was mind. I'd be absolutely devastating. Uh, so luckily, I've, I've been the only one. Uh, and I knew every stage. I knew that I'd be then taken to theatre, I'd go under anaesthetic, and then I'd wake up in a ward with aircon freezing you to death and nurse would <laughs> bring you a couple of slices of toast. That's uh, that's pretty much it. So yeah, I was very, I was very calm and and laid back about it. Again, probably because I've known all my life what's going to happen. Yeah, I'm prepared for it mentally. Um, and yeah, more my wife who was worse than I was. Has she been with you through the first one? Yes. Yeah, she was there for the first one and, and the second one. She was a lot calmer for the second one because I'm because I was calm. I wasn't obviously worrying her. I sent her home anyway because I knew I'd be waiting and I didn't want her and Caleb sat around waiting and, you know, going through all that waiting stage. So they just went home and reassured him that we'd ring you when, when he's out, which, which and then they came and saw me that day or the next day, sorry, which would have been the 27th. Did you ever fear that the same thing would happen with the first one? No. Just because of the way you're so, so yeah, calm and I'm, relaxed about it? Yeah. I'm, if something happens, it happens. I'm, I'm not one to dwell on stuff like that in and gone and you move onwards you can only move forward in life that's a good way to be yeah it's the right outlook yeah it, it works for me obviously it don't work for everyone I know, I know people need to reflect on what's happened but personally that's not that's not me so thankfully that transplant did work yes how long did it take you from from the transplant to get back into playing cricket again oh. or back to fitness if you like <laughs> I don't think I have any measurable fitness. Um, so yeah, that was in the May. Um, I probably waited about three months. It's not too bad. I, I think I was told six until I could get back into it. Maybe again, maybe that was to for my own good to stop going too quickly. But three months—that's good. That's good. I wasn't just training. I wasn't. I didn't play. I went to net and just had a little. I wasn't obviously trying to swing from the hip or anything like that. Yeah. I was just more feeling bat and ball um, more than anything. And probably my first match, I probably played the last couple of that season. Um, so, yeah, it was a lot better than the last couple I played before I was uh, when I was on dialysis because <laughs> uh, when I was really ill, that was hard work. I was on my haunches and feeling dizzy. It feels strange. Yeah. That lease of life a new kidney gives you when you've been to the what I was is uh, it's astonishing definitely do you wear any extra protection over your kidney when you play now no <laughs> which I probably <laughs> really should because uh, I know you've asked this question to everyone else and everyone else seems to but no it's not something uh, not something I've even considered you use the big wooden thing yeah I've got a bat in my hand <laughs> <laughs> I think when I first asked when I first joined the the Trout Cricket team I asked what protection does everyone wear I'm not sure. There was a few that said, uh, "Just use the wooden thing in your hand." <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it is what it's there for, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of the England and Wales transplant cricket team, how did you first find out about it? So I was in hospital, funnily enough, with uh, recovering from um, what did I have at the time? Norovirus. Um, I'd become very dehydrated because I couldn't get rid of this norovirus. Um, because your medication is obviously 
mean illnesses take longer. So I was 11 weeks with neurovirus and I spent the last couple in hospital. And I got a phone call out of the blue from the a lad called Ash. I lived with him in Australia. He was the bloke who was out of stadium when I played at Adam Downs. And he rang me and said, oh, how are you doing? I said, oh, I'm just in hospital at the moment. I'm just recovering from, uh, just on drips. Just recovering from so oh, I'm in hospital too. I've just had a massive heart attack. I thought, what? But yeah, my kidneys failed. I didn't know about it. My potassium, potassium again, gone up through the roof and it's caused me to have a massive heart attack. Um, anyway, anyway, this bloke called Kev Green has come and seen me straight away and has got me into the Australian cricket side. And we're touring next year in 2017. Uh, you need to get in touch with uh, the England and Wales transplant because we're playing his first match at Dulwich in London. I went, right, OK. So I did. And anyway, so yeah, that's how I got involved through an Australian, funnily enough. The love of Australians continues. Yeah, because so, obviously I've been in touch with Ash ever since I've been there and I still am now. We're very good friends and we, we do travel together still. Um, so yeah, he got me, in, he made me aware of the England Wales transplant because I was not aware of. So did you both play your first game against each other in that summer? He he played a, a game in Australia for the Lucky Stars, which is the Australian side. And then he'd come over and then we played against each other. And I made my debut at Dulwich against Australia. Uh, against Australia. I remember, thinking back to the other podcast, that was with Lee, wasn't it? Yeah, Lee made his uh, debut that day. And um, I forgot her name now, Rups, uh, which was our first women player, female player. She made her debut that day as well. Big day for all involved then. Yeah, it was it were a good it was a good day. I mean, we batted them, which were even better. But yeah, good, <laughs> very good day. How did it feel to be given your first cap and play the play the game? And I think I said this to a few of the others in sort of unexpected circumstances, playing for your country. Yeah, it's a it's a weird one to say you're playing for your country when there's you know I know it's quite a weird thing to say because obviously there's you not there's only so many can play for. The transplant team, and yeah. you're selected and you and you play. But playing against Australia, England, obviously that was my dream growing up was to play for Yorkshire and to play for England and to play in the Ashes. I've done it, the Yorkshire side of it. But you know, I've played for England and I've played in the Ashes against Australia. Done. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I scored a century on debut. So take done. Perfect start. <laughs> yeah. The man of the match on your debut. Yes, <laughs> I'm one of the I'm one of the series as well, <laughs> <laughs> which it made it all the better as well because I actually got added to the Australian group chat, and as you can imagine, the amount of slaver I received <laughs> <laughs> and gave back. Um, but yeah, there were about six of them were just firing into me on a regular basis. Like they're going to do X, Y, and Z to me, and blah 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 blah. Anyway, carry on. <laughs> <laughs> That's still going on now. But yeah, so I bet they, and they were giving me all game as well and soon shut them up. They were good. Do <laughs> you still keep regularly in touch with the Australian team now? Um, Ash, yeah. Ash, Ash I'm in touch with uh, very regular and one or two of us I'm, I, I message via Facebook every now and again, yeah. But they're a good group of lads. They are a good set of lads. From what I've heard, they do, yeah, they do sound, sound really good. Yeah, well, they're meant to... They're, Trying to organise twenty twenty three to come over again. So fingers crossed. Yeah. So hopefully you'll get to meet them. I hope so. I, as I think I've said this all the time. I'm 
mega keen, looking forward to getting involved. Yeah, it's a the the good game. Even like as uh, the games we play against our club sides or other clubs, they are good days out. Um, it's a good laugh. We do take it seriously. Um, and there's some good cricket played, but essentially it's it's there to raise organ awareness. Absolutely, it's a good way to do it as well. All raising awareness through the sport that we all love. That's it. Correct. Yes. I've got a rough idea to what this, the answer to this question might be, uh, but what have been your highlights with the team since you joined? Um, well, 136 in my debut, and then uh, I, there we go. Then the second, the second Test match at my own club at Sandal, I scored 100, retired as well. So that probably them first two games have been probably the highlights in terms of personal thing. Um, but me, all the lads just. With the exception of probably Dave Parker and Lee Dyer, they're all good lads. They think so quite nicely. How important has the the social aspect been, especially with the transplant team, everyone being together and being through the same or similar experiences? Yeah, well, that's you've hit the nail on the head there. They know exactly what you're going through. So, like your friends and your family have an idea, but don't really know. Uh, they know like the players, they all know that you've. You've been as low as you can pretty much go, um, and then you're where you are now because you've you've hit rock bottom and you've come back up again. And it, it's just good camaraderie between us all. I completely agree. I know we were having a chat after the the last net session, which seems like a long time ago now. So a year ago, it must be. Yeah, at least yeah. And my mum was saying how refreshing it was for to see to see us all sharing our stories and just chatting about what we've been through and open quite openly discussing it and learning from each other and supporting each other through. Yeah, and that's what it's there for. Part of what it's there for, yeah. You know, it's bounce off other people and I mean like, like uh, when one, a few weeks ago I was working down south in Lincoln somewhere, I forgot to take my tablets. So I got because I knew um, Adam Newell lived in Lincoln. I said, Oh what tablets do you want? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I texted him and said, oh, can I pick some tablets off you? And it's just stuff like that. It's just the you know, and then obviously it's taking me out because I forgot to set my bloody tablet. You know, I I noticed the the friendly family feel and that that group camaraderie straight away. The story you've mentioned with Adam brings us nicely onto the listener questions because uh, Adam sent me a text before recording and said, uh, "Can you ask Scott?" Tell him what I refused to answer. <laughs> he said, uh, "Can you ask Scott if he has drug dealers all around the country, or does he just use me?" <laughs> I do have my contacts in various locations, yes. <laughs> but he, he went on to say that it you already explained the story, you'd gone out without your tablets and knew he lived nearby and Yeah. Obviously he was happy to help. Yeah, he I was said, uh, uh, we all look after our elders in their moments of need. Again showing how England and Wales Transpact Cricket Club are one big family always ready to help out. <laughs> Cheeky get, I'm not that old. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, it was it was great him to help me out. Uh, I was in a bit of a rush that morning. It's not something I do often, but I did. I was in a rush that morning to get down uh, down to Bender Lincoln, and I did forget. But yeah, luckily, I knew Adam was working near where I was lived near where I was working. He was happy to help me out. It was great. It's a situation that I think we've all imagined, but don't want to be in. Yeah, um, it's not nice. I, I mean, I remember. Probably a couple of years ago now, I was working in, um, where was I? I was Leicester Way, which is a good two hours from where I live, and I forgot 
I was in there for the week and I completely forgot all my tablets. I remember like, after my shift, I got got back to my digs. I'm like, bloody hell, my tablets. And I, like, I left them on kitchen top, so I had to drive two hours there, then two hours back, which had already driven two hours there. Done a 12 hour shift, you know. I felt in Pepper's the entire journey back just to pick my tablet. So luckily I've never never forgot like a complete week to have since. But yeah, it's uh, it's not a nice feeling. Like losing I mean, your phone, you just it's you know, yeah. thinking feeling. Are they always with you all the time now? Yeah, so Sun as if anyone follows the Twitter, some I've on before that Sunday night's my drug making up night. So I've got a docket box which will hold two weeks with so Sunday night I'll make up my docket box the next two weeks and I split them all up and and do all that and so I, and then that goes on top of me going away bag so that I know it's definitely there it's a, a good system to have I've got a refill night as well and I carry a little not sure what the right word is one of those tiny satchel bag things with um, all my tablets in the boxes for the immunosuppression and then the ones that the other ones I'm on alpha calcidol which I think is a vitamin d calcium yeah. style tablet don't don't quote me on that um and aspirin they're just in a separate little box and it does work they're all in the same place yeah um and i i keep mine in my car um and then at the side of me on my seat when i'm traveling down so that i know to grab them to put them in my hotel or the house i'm staying in and then if i'm working a daft shift so i might be like four well four in the morning i'll pull one out because i only need to take one at 10 o'clock yeah. And you, know, you get in a system and then it works for you. We've got, we've got to be quite disciplined with the, if anyone's not directly transport related listening, uh, I mean, it depends what tablets you're on. I know mine personally, and you might be similar. I've got to take mine 10 o'clock in the morning, 10 o'clock at night, 12 hours apart to keep the levels topped up. I'm not sure what you're on, but it might be similar. Yeah. So, yeah. So you can't, you don't want that level dipping to, it's obviously going to dip throughout the day. You want to keep it more of a smoother curve rather than a violent up and down curve. Uh, so 12 hours and 12 hours is pretty much what I'm on as well. You mentioned the Twitter in the that last bit we were talking about. You are the man behind the England Transplant Cricket Twitter page at eTransplantC if anyone wants to go and follow it. How did we end up taking control of that? Um, Joe was, who runs us, who has been on a few weeks ago, she... She run. She basically tried to run it all. Um, so I, I'm not very good with admin and stuff like that. And I'm on my phone a lot with work anyway. Um, it just seemed I'll take over the Twitter and I'll try and promote us and get a, a bit of a following, so more and more people know about us. Uh, so I, I, I just approached her. Says, Do you want me to take over the Twitter and I can try and get us a, a decent following? And um, obviously I'll just talk a load of crap sometimes because you get bored at work and what else am I going to do um, but yeah so I try, and, I try and keep it kidney and cricket related I sometimes go off on tangents but I do try and keep it along them lines um, sorry not just kidney organ transplant sorry um, but yeah I've got, a, got quite a few followers since I took over I'm up nearly 2,000 now um, and I follow some very interesting people um, and, and learn quite a lot get riled by some of it which i can't <laughs> respond to which annoys me <laughs> are you doing you're doing a great job with it I, you just tweet a lot and it's all you a lot of it's useful and relevant and it does it keeps the engagement going people respond people get yeah. involved join the conversation 
far better at tweeting than I am. If anyone follows the Transport's Take on Sport podcast Twitter page, you know, it's a new podcast out. Or we'll see you in a week and then we'll get another <laughs> tweet. But I'm trying to get better at that. Yeah, it's literally just because I'm at work and I'm bored. That's... <laughs> might, I might as well do it while I'm getting paid for it. <laughs> I first followed it when I found out about the team and it was good to see I think it was during the summer when I had my transplant and seeing I think you were putting updates from matches on and scores and scorecards it was it was nice to see how the team was doing before joining yeah, yeah that's uh, obviously when the cricket starts that, that is when a, what a lot of content will be about the matches coming up and different match situations and stuff like that Um yeah, it's try my best. I think I'm a bit. <laughs> my spelling and grammar's got a bit better since I first started. No one's too worried. I don't think it's <laughs> probably it'll be better than most on Twitter. Yeah, so there's some some stuff that's uh, quite ineligible. <laughs> um, Scott, it's been a pleasure to chat to you today. We've got a, another listener question. Um, it's worked quite nicely with the time we're in now, and has been shielding extremely vulnerable. Va- have you had your vaccine dose now? Your first one. Yeah, I had it um, uh, probably five weeks ago now. Um, all good, feeling fine. No one's interested in my thoughts. No one's trying to <laughs> control me. So yeah, the Tinat File Brigade can uh, <laughs> tweeting. And the, the question came in from Dave. Uh, it says, "How's the homeschooling going?" No comment. <laughs> <laughs> My, my, uh, my son's nine year old and he's learning about frontal verbials and uh, to this day I still don't know what they are. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you finding you learning from it? Because some, yeah. I mean, some of the stuff that might be like the history things that might come up, but I've, I haven't got kids, so I'm 22 and single. Uh, some of the history stuff and maybe science, history for me anyway, I didn't study it beyond the age of 13. That would all be new and things to learn. Yeah, so we were doing about Shackleton who did something, so I don't really, I'm going to say I did something, so I don't really learn that much. He did something <laughs> in the North Pole, he did an expedition to the North Pole, um, got stuck, and I think him and his crew sadly, sadly died because of it. So he's, um, so yeah, he's learning about Shackleton and his uh, ship, the, I'm going to get this wrong, I know I am. Before, <laughs> oh, I don't want to say, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give uh, Parker and uh, Dyer any ammunition. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it there then uh, Scott as I said it's been a bit of joy I'm learning from everyone and your story is, is an inspirational one you've been through a lot with your, your illnesses and your kidney transplants and it's good to see you back playing cricket and doing what you love spending time with your family your kids uh, one more question before we go and I ask this to everyone what's one piece of advice you'd give to someone facing a transplant uh Probably not helpful to a lot of people, but don't worry about it. That's that's just simple as just it's what will be will be. That's all I can say really, because that's how I approached it. I think yeah, I think it's a good point because I worried, I worried a lot, um, and people will worry about it. But it is natural to yeah. worry. I, I will add, it is natural to worry. It doesn't achieve anything for me personally. It doesn't achieve a thing, and. That you you are in the best possible hands. Yeah, we have got a first class NHS system with first class doctors, and they know hundred percent what they are doing. Any complications that will or may arise, 
they know how to combat that problem. Put your trust in them doctors because they are the mutts nut. Personally, worry if I know that if looking back now, it's easy, easy Captain Hindsight. Uh, but looking back, I know that if I hadn't worried, the same thing would happen anyway. I'd have had a transplant, and now I'd come through the side of it. Exactly. And again, I, easy said the, than done. The worrying probably put your blood pressure up to start with, which wasn't helpful. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's I'm I'm a very relaxed person. I don't tend to get worked up or worried about many things in life i never have done that's again it's not helpful for anyone to hear that for some people to hear that that's just me and my personal experience scott thank you so much for coming on i'm sure people will love to hear what you've said and hear your story or your outlook on kidney transplants which i think is is quite refreshing to hear the sort of don't worry everything's gonna be fine all what happens happens case or as you've said and what will be will be uh, I've got to start singing now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, where were we? Uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, if anyone does want to check out the England and Wales Transplant Cricket Club, you can go to Twitter and follow at eTransplantC. You can see Scott posting about, you would be posting about a test match at the time of recording, but. Uh, no, we're, yeah, that was over quickly. Yeah, we're over in two days with a, with a dodgy pitch. So, yeah, go over there. Check out the Twitter page. Check out the team on Facebook as well, England and Wales Transplant Cricket. Uh, if you're enjoying the podcast, uh, as always, please make sure you go and subscribe, follow wherever you'd normally listen. Uh, please do tell your friends. Uh, spread the word. Let's get more people listening. If you don't like it, tell your friends you did anyway. Uh, we'll take them. They might like it. Uh, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, that is the most listened to or most used app to listen to the podcast on. So if you're listening on there, it really would mean a lot to me if you could rate it five stars on the show page. Even give it a review, a nice review, uh, and five-star reviews, as I've done in the past. I will read out on the podcast. If you'd like to follow the uh, podcast on social media, we're on Instagram and Facebook as at Transplants Take On Sport Pod and Twitter at TTOS Pod. And with the announcement of the... Shackleton ship was called The Endeavour. There we go, alerts the new... <laughs> With the announcement of the roadmap out of lockdown, um, I know I'm looking forward to getting back to performing, doing magic at weddings, parties, events, uh, getting involved in variety shows if possible. So if you are looking for someone to perform at your wedding, your party, whatever it may be, once it's safe to do so, bearing in mind I have had a kidney transplant, so I will be taking it steady. Uh, follow me if you want. I'm on Twitter at LewisDaniels25, Instagram at Lewis underscore Daniels25, and Facebook at Lewis Daniels Magic. Might as well get a bit of self-promotion in there. Thank you again to my guest today, Scott Fairbrass. I've been Lewis Daniels, and you've been listening to Transport's Take on Sport. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.